Okay. All right. Hello and welcome to the Finding Proof podcast. I'm very excited to be joined today by Mark Drager, a very new friend of mine all the way from Canada. And he is in digital marketing, design, uh, media strategist. His company is Fanta. And if you're an Australian, we're not talking about the drink. Uh, so Fanta, P-H-A-N-T-A. Um, I might have to take a couple of bottles of Fanta, F-A-N-T-A, yes. to Canada next time I'm over that direction, I think. Welcome, Mark. I'm glad to have you here. Thank you so much. Now, I have to ask before we get into the really serious stuff, do you guys have sure, both, sure. Do you guys have Fanta Fizzy and the Fanta Straight like they do in the UK, or is it just one type? No, oh no, just the fizzy. We can't oh. be dealing with Fanta straight. I don't know what that. I don't know what that nonsense. It's, I don't it's know like, what that is. It's like still. It's like you know how there's still water and then fizzy water. No, that's, you can get you can yeah. get still Fanta yeah, over everything. there. Mm. I'm just I'm just feeling everything wrong with the world when I think of still Fanta. It's a little bit like you know Canadians trying to tell me that Ovaltine is the same as Milo. Not gonna happen. Not gonna happen. I don't even know if I know either <laughs> so of those references, but you know, you don't know. You see. But what us yeah, Canadians like to do pack. is is prove to you that what you call snow is not snow. That's that's my number one thing I like to do is call you out on the internet <laughs> that your little your little uh, yeah, whatever yeah, it is yeah. three centimeters two centimeters of of white fluff on the top of a mountain <laughs> does not count as snow. Thank you very much. Yeah. 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 Yes. Okay. Called out. Totally called out. So for those of you who are not aware, uh, I, made, I made the gross mistake of mentioning that it was cold here in Tasmania, keeping in mind, you know, next stop on the planet after where I live is Antarctica. But yes, it's not as cold as the great white north that is Canada. <laughs> and uh, I made mention of snow. And uh, so I felt compelled to prove that we had snow on our mountain. Uh, and I found a patch about this big uh, next to the road that hadn't melted away. And I managed to angle the photograph just so all you could see was the snow. Um, but yeah, I don't think Mark quite believed me. <laughs> uh, excellent. We don't that's have nice, reindeer, nice but we do have kangaroos. <laughs> yes, you have lots of things yeah, we yeah. don't have. That's for sure. <laughs> well, thank, thank you. Yeah, thank yeah, you for having right. me, though. <laughs> Always welcome. <laughs> so we were talking a little bit before we started recording and we were talking about, um, oh gosh, we were talking about a few funny things actually, but we were talking about this idea of marketing mm. and uh, my core clientele, uh, I, obviously I appeal to or I speak to business owners and entrepreneurs in any field, but in terms of my core mentoring clients, mostly they are mental health professionals here in Australia, but soon to be Canada as well uh, and other parts of the world. Um, but we were talking about the importance of marketing and sales, even when we feel, as mental health professionals, we feel we came to this profession to help people. And so there's this friction between the wanting to help and almost that charitable feeling that comes with that and the need to get your message out there because otherwise you can't help anybody if they don't know that you mm -hmm. exist and, and you've done some work haven't you with other other health professionals and, and hit some of the same pain points I guess yeah and it, it's it's funny and anytime so, so the way that I look at it is that there are people who are you know quote-unquote business people and then there are people who have a craft or a trade and if you have a craft or a yeah. gift or a trade and whether that's being a physician or um, uh, being a frontline healthcare worker or uh, gosh, even being something like, you know, a dentist or someone in private practice or, or whatever, whatever it might be, you have a gift and a skill and a, and, and a trade. And 
And so sometimes the people who are the very best at that are uncomfortable being business people. Mm-hmm. Um, they, you know, obviously you want to run your practice. You want your practice to grow. Uh, in my experience, fairly competitive market, fairly competitive people, uh, you know, with the desire to be the best, to stand out, to be recognized, to see huge improvements with the people that they work with. And, and, and I think at a certain level, we all want to do the very best work and help people. But in my experience, and, and it's not in all cases, but in my experience, a generalization would be that people in you know, any kind of healthcare uh, profession, uh, it's just kind of uncomfortable being titled the business person um, because it feels like it, it goes against helping people. And so whether you're speaking about sales or marketing or branding or being a thought leader, uh, all of this is wrapped up into the same thing. And I think it has more to do with, with um, self-identity and, and uh, comfort zone than it does the very thing, like the very practices of it. To, to me, everything is um, like a marketing play or a sale. And so, you know, even with my, I have four kids, even with my four kids, I don't like to negotiate with them, but I like to sell them on the idea why if, you know, we do X, Y, Z, we might see these rewards or whatever it might be. And so when you're thinking about growing and building your, 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 especially a private practice, uh, the way that you're perceived within the community, uh, the referrals that you may get from other healthcare professionals, um, even if you're not doing outbound active advertising or marketing, you can lose patients by not carrying yourself well or not portraying yourself well or, or not having a, a, gr- a great um, welcoming environment or whatever. It's, it's all tied up into the sale. The sale isn't having yeah. someone come in and saying, you know, I had, I'm giving you a free assessment uh, I need you to, I need you to sign for 13 weeks of treatment. And you know, here's the, like, that's not the sale. The sale is every single touch point, every single way that you're perceived and, and the way that you carry your, yourself uh, within the communities that you're working. That's so true. I, I often say to, um, especially to younger clinicians who are perhaps moving into their own businesses, and often say to them, reputation is everything. Your whole business is about your reputation, how you relate to the people who ring up and ask a question, how you relate to the people who are referring clients to you, whether or not you return messages, all of those things feed into your reputation. Um, I actually had some really lovely feedback recently. My husband went to the doctor and the doctor pleaded with him to get me seeing more clients again because my reputation is well established as a clinician. And of course, most of my work now is in mentoring and, and, and other things. But, um, you know, it was nice to know that my reputation still sits well with the referring community. And that, so my job as the CEO of this practice is to make sure that my reputation stays stable so that my clinicians have a good mm. referral base and that the, those referrers trust me to have the clinicians that I've got, that I've chosen well for my, See, my clients. So there's many layers to all of that. But I don't want to confuse reputation with professionalism. And I think most people who, yeah, right. are, who are professionals wrap mm-hmm. themselves in, in um, a stoic or detached professionalism for fear of you know, being perceived as too ordinary or too average or too welcoming or whatever. And so I, I would... I, I, in my experience, a lot of people who worry about their reputation actually worry about 
maintaining this artificial level of professionalism that makes it really hard to connect with you, really hard to understand. Like, like, um, uh, you know, you, you're, I'm sure you're a professional test, but that's not the side of you that I met. I didn't, I didn't meet the side of you where, in, where you insisted that every photo of you had to be a certain way and you had to, you know, have the, the <laughs> no, colors, that's right. you know, the collar completely stiff and all of those things. And so like professionals, yeah. it just destroys uh, your likability. And so you're yeah. right. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, yeah, there's yeah. a lot of things wrapped into this, yeah. but I think, I think the, the, the way that I always look at it is, is, you know, who are you? Who do you want to work with, right? If you want to work with people um, in, in, in maybe a clinical sense or um, maybe within the healthcare system um, or maybe you're semi-private, I'm not sure how your healthcare system works there, but if you want to work with people who have faced serious trauma or if you want to work with people who are business people who, are, who want to go to the next level or just decide who you are and know who you are, decide who you want to work with and then, and then quite simply, who do you need to be to connect with those people. You know, it, it could just come down to a really easy to get to space that's clean and private and, you know, you're a great person. It could be high-end offices. It could be having things look a certain way or feel a certain way or a digital app or all kinds of things. But it depends on just who you want to work with, mm. understanding who those people are, how they'll perceive you, and then just act, portray that, act that, share that, be that in, in everything that you do. That's, yeah. that's marketing. That's sales. Yeah. Yeah. I think we, we often forget, we forget that um, we, we need to portray ourselves as human beings. And so a lot of the work I do on social media is that pared down. I'm just me. I'm just Tess. And so people get to know me. And I think that my mentoring clients respond to that. And I teach them to do the same because then they are appealing to, as you say, you know, the, the clients who are going to be drawn to them and it's a right match. It's the right fit. Putting up those professional shields and Brene Brown will talk all about the armor that we put up to protect ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, putting up those professional shields and putting on that professional mask doesn't let your ideal client know that you're the right fit for them. So I guess we're coming at it from different angles, but certainly speaking the same language. What about uh, social media? So obviously, I know a little bit about social media. I do a little bit of social media. Uh, I think you should but give yourself a about, bit more credit you know, than that. <laughs> give yourself more credit, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's just Australian sarcasm. Um, but, uh, yeah, look, I think that I'm a bit of an anomaly. So I've been called all sorts of names and I, and I know that this happens not just in my profession, but I've been called all sorts of things for being very out and loud and proud on social media uh, and speaking my message, whatever that might be on the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people in our professions feel quite, quite fearful. Again, that professionalism and those protective masks and people feel quite fearful. They're fearful of being judged. They're fearful of being wrong. So they're fearful of saying something that might not be 100% accurate and being mm-hmm. criticised for that. There's so many fears tied up and yet we're living in the digital age. How do we communicate? And we're living in a smaller world. Mm -hmm. How do we communicate? How do we connect with each other? Um, The new CEO of our, the professional body that I'm a member of, the Australian Psychological Society, actually said recently that for us as a profession to connect with our community, we must embrace social media at the forefront of our endeavours, which I was Mm. so relieved to hear her say. 
do you find that in other did you know, other up, professions? Did she follow that up with how how what that yeah. actually mean? Um, no, she's play. She's she's no, I'm, not that I've seen. Let me put it that way. Not that I've seen, but she's active on social media herself. So she's actually trying to lead by example. So she's you know, presenting a real human face on Twitter and so on. And um, but I think she does mean that that communicating via social media is increasingly important and a lot of mental health professionals are fearful of it because it's not the way they were taught to do things and we, we weren't ever taught about business we weren't talking about marketing or sales or any of those things we were taught to treat people of course um so it's a new language yeah it's a new language for a lot of a lot of business owners in this field do you find that people are still as a digital marketer do you find that people are anxious you feel that people are increasingly understanding why social media and digital media is so important or is it still a battle for you to convince people of its worth so i mean in the, in the work that we do social media is is often so so you can advertise on social media channels for your practice or your brand without being active on social media and so we have to be kind of careful in, in terms of what the way that we think about this as business owners or practice builders or whatever it might be, because you can choose to take out ads like you would on the radio or maybe at a publication or um, I was going to say the Santa Claus parade. I don't know if you guys do that there, but, but you can, know, there's all these like maybe a barbecue or something local. There's all these things that you can do to advertise and you can choose to advertise on social media. The choice to actually be on social media and grow a following and be a leader and be seen is is, is to me um, a, a different choice that you're making. You know, I've, I've been, uh, you know, in, in this, I started my firm in 2006 and yet I've only really actively decided to start building social media in November of this year. So for a very long time, I resisted for very similar reasons to you. You know, I don't yeah. like being declarative. Our mutual friend, Evan Carmichael is always on me for being like just very, very declarative. I just know that it's not black and white. I know that it's sometimes and, and, and all of these things, but you know, I'm, I'm supposed to be seen as certain, which makes me uncomfortable. Um, I know that yeah. there's a lot of nuance in, in what we say and how we say it and what we share in context that we just don't have the time to get into. So someone will always think that you're wrong and that makes me uncomfortable. Um, but, but the truth is that, and I think, I think you are alluding to this really, really well. You have, if you want to help people, you have to meet them where they're at. And so if you're building a practice where the vast majority of people who, who you want to help are simply not on social media, then I would say have the freedom to, to ignore it uh, and, and meet people wherever they may be. But if, if the vast majority of people are on social media and for whatever reason they may be uncomfortable um, seeking out help or really a lot of us spend a lot of time looking up to people um, and, and, and the reason why we're so inspired by those who happen to be doing well on social media is because they're doing the things that we wished that we could do or they're, or they're bold the way we wish we were bold or they had fun and, and so, you know, and whatever it might be. And so, uh, you know, the best, in, in my experience, the best way to help people is to be able to connect with people and give them what they need when they need it. And so if you're on social media, as you know, you're going to connect with many more people you're going to have the opportunity to help many more people. And, and in the long run, I, I mean, that's, that's just good for you and 
what you're doing and your practice and your business. I mean, the more well-known you are and the more good work you do and the better your reputation is, it's just, it's, it's, it's the old days of word of mouth um, just amplified across a platform. That's it. And, and it's scary. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's word, of, word of mouth on steroids, yeah. It, it can be. Uh, I mean, again, you have like, the, the only reason you and I know each other is because of social media, right? So. <laughs> exactly, I know, I know, right? I know, it's funny. This is what I mean though about a smaller world. You know, we often talk about um, you know, the capacity to help people and, to, and, and when we, as, I mean, you're in a helping profession as well. You know, you're helping people mm-hmm. with their businesses and helping them get their message out and helping them communicate. Mm-hmm. And we as mental health professionals do similar things, but just from a very different perspective and for a very different reason, of course. But the point is we still have a message. We still need to, we all subscribe to, as mental health professionals, the need to break down stigma around mm-hmm. mental illness. We all subscribe to the need to break down stigma around help-seeking because so many people are too embarrassed to ask for help. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, for me, it, it started out, my social media stuff started out as purely about mental health topics and talking about depression, anxiety, personality disorders, and mm-hmm. so on. Mm-hmm. And that's where um, I guess I grew comfortable in the social media space because I felt this is a community service. So I felt that it was safe. It was a comfort zone for me. It's a community mm-hmm. service. It's what we call psychoeducation stepping outside of that community service and then building a personal brand took me out of my comfort zone. But, and, and that's the stuff that I'm, you know, now working with others on, you've got to step out of your comfort zone. I mean, Evan's always talking about if you, if you're staying in your comfort zone, you're bored with your life and you hate your life and you're just photocopying your life day after day. Mm-hmm. Um, so for you stepping into the social media space last year and growing that, I mean, how, how did you start? Because you already had well, the knowledge about the need for well, marketing. So, so how did you yeah. start? So I, I'm maybe not the best case study in the world because uh, I've been running and I've owned a marketing agency for 12 years. Uh, I went to film school. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, it's, I'm, I'm a graphic designer. I mean, there's like, it's kind of like cheating really for me to, because people were so surprised when they're like, you weren't on social at all. And now you're hearing you're doing amazing stuff. Your growth is huge. I'm like, well, let's keep in mind that I feel like I have a decade of practice mm-hmm. at this. So, um, but, but it do- didn't change. It doesn't change the fear. It doesn't change, you know, the excitement that quickly wears off the, the fact that, you know, you're, you're, you're doing it and doing it and doing it. And, people who were supportive and really behind you and, and, and like every time you release something, they were like, this is the best. They like lose interest and you have, you know, all, all of that stuff. But, but it, you know, I, in April, I spoke at, um, at a national conference for physiotherapists in Canada about specifically about social media and leveraging for their practices. And it just, it just came down to, you know, I, I almost felt the need to like make a case for it. And so I showed screenshots of recent conversations that I had with people where people I've known for years who did not mention anything to me out of the blue would say, Hey Mark, I noticed what you've been doing. Um, I was too afraid to speak in front of public, but you motivated me to do so. So now I gave, um, I'm giving a presentation this afternoon for my entire company. Um, you know, thank you so much. Uh, and so, or, you know, just, just all these comments, all these comments of people who, who help, who, who I've been able to help in all kinds of countries all, all over the place. And so ultimately, yeah. 
I, you know, yes, um, significance and recognition and all of those things is great, but mostly I think we are all, um, pushed. We all have the desire or drive to help people. And if you just like, if, if you if you just approach it as my goal is to share what I know in my voice, from my perspective to those who are willing to listen, because I know it will help them. And in the big picture, it will help me grow a presence and a following, and it might lead to other opportunities or avenues I wasn't aware of. And it'll help build my brand and it'll help build my practice and it'll get me more clients and I'll, I'll generate more revenue and all of those other things that come with it in the long run. In the short term, you're just helping people. Like, like this is not even, even sales, even sales, the word that people don't like. At the end of the day, a great salesperson helps the person they're sitting across determine what it is that they need, desire, or want and then helps them get that in a way that they're comfortable getting it. That's, that's all sales is. And so um, it, even that in itself, if you're not being manipulative, if you're not being dirty, if you're not being a scam artist, is helping people. You're just trying to help people get what they need, yeah. want, desire, whatever it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think this is true. I'm listening to an audio book at the moment called, it's an old one, uh, Ready, Fire, Aim. I'm, yes. I'm loving it. It's, um, you know, the book and, um, I, I know the title talks about base, you know, the title It's such a good title. Right? Well, have Great I ever title. told you, have I ever um, told you about my book buying addiction? So I'm addicted <laughs> to buying oh, books. I think we probably share that addiction. I'm addicted to buying books yeah, because yeah. I get such a rush of achievement when I, when I buy the book and when the book, when the book shows up, I just feel so accomplished for knowing that I am the type of person who could read this book. And then guess what? I never get around to reading no, the no, book. No. I probably have a hundred books that I feel so awesome for owning. And yet, and yet it's a yeah. lot of work reading all those books, isn't it? It is. It is really hard work. And you know, I think we have the same affliction uh, and which is why I've moved to audiobooks because then I might actually at least listen to them in the car or something. But um um, the author whose name has fallen out of my head, Michael Masterson is what I think I want to say his name is. I hope I've got that right. Um, he talks about sales that, that we, so many entrepreneurs get it back to front. They've spent the time and the money getting their offices sorted out. They've been shopping for furniture. They've been doing all the pretty things mm -hmm. and they haven't even tested yet whether or not they've got a product for sale. And, um, and, and I've been saying to, actually I was talking with one of my mentoring clients this morning and I was saying to her, you know, as a mental health profession, this is our dirty little secret that if we're in private practice, we are also all about sales. And mm -hmm. that's a really uncomfortable truth for a lot of people in my profession. And it's the same for professional artists, professional musicians. You know, there's this lovely stereotype of the struggling artist and, you know, they would never sell out. Well, they still need to eat and they still need to feed their children. And so they're also in the business of sales. If they want to be a professional, they're in the business of sales. I was having a conversation sort or other. this morning yeah, with, with a friend who is, um, uh, I don't know her official title. Let's, let's say she's a psychologist, <laughs> counselor. I don't know. Anyway, she, Why not? And, yeah. and, you know, she had to move offices because her sublet was up and this and that. And she was going on about... Uh, not going on in a negative way, but just saying like, oh, her new space should have windows and should have this. And just like, and I was like, no, you don't need windows, right? Like with proper environment and proper lighting and it's clean, that's enough. You know, like, like don't make things too complicated. Don't get yourself into a five-year lease. Don't get into any, like just, 
Just get your space, plant your flag in the ground, say, this is my community, build your practice, become known. Um, you, you know, she was concerned with her, her website and her logo and her colors. Mm. I was like, none of that stuff matters. Like brand identity. Well, this was my direct quote. You are brand identity. The only people who are going to work with you right now are people who know you are like you. So guess what? Like I would rather you spend your time looking and feeling great. And if that means for her having her nails done, so she feels put together or wearing bright colors or walking into the room with confidence, that is more important than putting granite countertops in and getting the floor done or, you know, making sure your sign looks perfect or even making sure your website is like next level and better than everyone else. Yeah. Right. And, and, and I'm, you know, I'm a marketing person, but people like you, then they want to work with you. If they trust you, then they want to work with you. You like, you need, you need something, you need something to draw them in. That's it. That's exactly right. It needs to be more than the, the pretty, the pretty outers. You know, I know when I'm procrastinating, I'll start fiddling with brand colors and brand fonts and brand this and brand that. And that's my way of, Playing with dolls as a grown-up, you know, oh, I'm just I like playing. That. Yeah, <laughs> and well, I was more of a colorer in as a kid too. But you know, that's my procrastination, and I recognise that that's what it is, and that's fine. And every and so my, you know, my personal brand has changed colours and fonts and whatever's about sixty times. Makes no difference mm-hmm. to the message I put out or to the people who are drawn to work with me. Again, because of social media, people know whether or not they want to work with me. They know whether or not they like me, and I'm quite okay with knowing that there are people who don't like me that's fine I'm not their cup of tea I probably wouldn't enjoy working with them either and I don't mean that rudely but you know that the reason that you put your message out there the reason you put your personality out there that you draw the people that are going to enjoy working with you you're going to be more more likely to enjoy working with them yeah now I, I will say that you know a really bad brand can hurt your credibility if you're yeah. doing a great job of explaining yourself or, or showing who you are um, and it can, you know, it can make you not as likable as you really are because you're just not like, all I'm going for is, is, you know, if, if people come to you to work with you because you are the most educated, then make sure that that's expressed everywhere. If it's because you're just a really understanding and caring and good person, then just make sure that that's expressed everywhere. If it's, um, you know, professionalism, I was going to say, but if it's credentials or, um, amount of schooling or extreme specialist or, um, whatever it is, just make sure that that's out there in terms of how it looks, how it feels, how it sounds, how people perceive it. Yeah, cool. So in this digital age, Mr. Digital Marketer, mm. what's more important, a website or social media presence? Uh, it depends on, uh, the, <laughs> see, I'm, I'm a strategist. So the answer is it depends on what your goal is. So if if you are planning on advertising uh, and you need a place to drive that traffic to, so you're going to have signs or ads or digital, you know, um, banners or advertising Facebook or doing whatever you're doing, or you're not going to build a social following, then you have to have a website because that's your digital home, right? That's the place where you may write or where people may simply just find, you know, like a lot of times new marketers forget simple things like, Hey, is there parking or, or, or um, you know, uh, public transit access to your location? Is it a second story walk up? And so people with walkers or canes may have trouble accessing it. Like, like sometimes you have to just give the basic information and the best place yeah. to do that's on a website. Uh, so I would say website is your home. It's your digital home. You should definitely have one no matter what. But 
uh, is it more important than social media? Social media is more important if that's what, if, if, if you're all in on social media, mm. right? Mm. And, and so something that I was, I was speaking to another clinician about and, and she was playing with the idea of, you know, would she do remote virtual sessions like what we're doing now or does she have to be in person? And like, if you have to be in person and, you know, then I would say social media may be less important because it's just such a big world. And so if you're not open to helping or speaking or working with people who happen to be a few hundred kilometers away, then maybe you want to focus on your community first or figure out ways to actually win on social media within your really tight local community. Um, did I answer your question? Cause that was a long way to get there. <laughs> I think so. I guess, I guess for me, when I'm thinking about the procrastination things that get in the way of people either starting their businesses or promoting their businesses. Oftentimes I see that perfectionism around websites getting in the way of taking action on social media. And so I encourage people to remember that social media is free and you can build up a profile or at least a history on your social media channel really, really quickly by consistently posting good quality content, even if it just starts out of stuff that you've shared from elsewhere. So that when people are Googling you, they're going to find something that's got some substance. But I also agree with what you're saying, that the importance for me, the importance of a website is that there is some substance and credibility to having a home on the internet, mm -hmm. you know, being searchable on Google. But whether or not people slow themselves down because the website's not ready, for example, I guess that's probably where I'm coming from. Well, but but the, the core issue there is you shouldn't let anything slow you down because you're not ready because you can use that same yes. excuse for your first post on Instagram Everything. or mm -hmm. tweeting a tweet or making a YouTube video or being on Facebook or whatever it might be. The, prob the reason I come at it so practically is many people do many, many things badly. And so I would much rather them do one thing really, really well than 10 things very, very poorly. And so I, I would suggest that your website is really, really, it, it, it is important. It's a very important thing. But, but if you are going to ignore the website and you're going to go all in on Instagram, let's say, um, Instagram is not going to start generating business or leads for you very quickly. And so if you're looking to advertise or market, even if you're uncomfortable with it, but if you're looking to, to try and have people walk through your door or call you up, uh, if, if that's the case, then you have to have a really great website or a landing page and you have to do some online advertising to drive yeah. the traffic to it. Um, now, now blogging, so like writing written content, so you'll rank better in SEO, doing email marketing, so building up an email list of people who follow you and want to keep in touch with you, going on to Instagram or Facebook uh, or Twitter if that's your choice yeah. and building that up. If you're a more professional, maybe going into LinkedIn all of these things, you know, when we're working with our clients, we kind of remind them it's like brushing your teeth. And so if you want to see immediate results in your health, then you should eat better. I like keto, but you should eat better or do some fasting or sleep better uh, and go to the gym. And within a few days, you will see results. Brushing yeah. your teeth, you are never going to receive results for, but it's pretty important that you do it. Because if you don't do it, and if you don't do it consistently, and you don't do it well, you're going to see negative results from it. And so I always look at, at some of these larger long-term activities in that way. You know, it's, do you have to do social media? No. No one will ever tell you you have to, and you can run your business without ever doing it well. If you started doing it now, will it pay off? No. <laughs> it won't pay off 
uh, other yeah. than these little wins for the net until like maybe three months, six months, nine months, a year, three years, whatever it might be, depending on how fast you can grow and what your goals are. But everyone that you look up to, in, including yourself and others, started this a long time ago. And now you go, and now yeah. you go, oh, I wish I had what they had. Well, yeah. start. So, yeah. so like so social is, I think, super, super important. It's, um, it's only going to become more important. But if your goal is to, is to spend um, a certain amount of effort and get a certain amount of returns, um, lead-wise, revenue-wise, or whatever it might be, it's really hard to square those numbers up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know how you overcame that in your business. Oh, look, I don't know. We, I found that um, there's only a very small – so for my mentoring business, which is what I'm mostly um, known for now on social media – uh, there's only a small number of my mentoring clients that are actually local geographically mm-hmm. to me. The vast majority of my mentoring clients are from all over Australia. And obviously I'm, I'm working on the rest of the world, but <laughs> they're all over Australia. And so Facebook for me has been the, the real home ground mm-hmm. uh, for uniting people and for getting that message out there and for you know marking the marketing the programs that I offer and blah, blah, are, you, blah. are you targeting mainly and, women in their in their late 30s 40s and early 50s I am target well I play around with my targeting mm-hmm. so I've been targeting um, in the United States I'm targeting men and women in that sort of middle age brand or band so 25 to 55 kind of age band mm-hmm. um, in the states so half of my following now is in the US and all, most of my following in Insta- on Instagram is in the US uh, and my demographic is uh, in Australia it's mostly women in Melbourne in that age age band but the rest of the world's quite different so I have to play around with it and it's and it's um and I think this is all the behind the scenes stuff that people don't necessarily understand why you're doing a certain post a certain way or why you're why all of a sudden stuff is turning up in their news feed or isn't um, because this is all the stuff you have to do you have to play around with markets you have to play around with demographics you have to think about what words am I using to describe the audience that I want to reach when I'm doing those advertising you know, geeking out on all that stuff, you know, in well, you know, Facebook ads manager and that sort of thing. Yeah. And, and you, you can, you, let, you can dig into all that stuff. It sounds overwhelming. And, 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 and eventually, I mean, you pick it up as you, it's, it's a game, right? You pick it up as you go. It's a game. That's how it feels. It feels but, like it's a game. Yeah. But I will always maintain and Maybe it's just because this is the way we built our practice. Um, you know, understanding the audience, like on, on an insight level, mm-hmm. their fears, their motivations, their desires, um, what they're looking for, at what point in their journey are you meeting them? Are you interrupting them in front of something else or are they seeking you out? When I started in 2006, it just came naturally to me to think in terms of, you know, at the time, I think we were calling them psychographics, but, um, you know, more than demographics, certainly, just, just trying to identify who is doing what and why are they doing it and how, do, and, and how will we be perceived at the moment where we drop and all of these things. But really, um, you know, and, and, and I've, I've been, I've been using this for a few years now with, to try and simplify marketing and sales and perception. Again, it just comes down to who do I, who am I? So Mark Drager, you know, on my social channels or with my company or whatever it is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really, really good on the strategy level because 
I'm empathetic and I understand people. Great. Who do I want to work with? I want to work with entrepreneurs or if you're a healthcare person, I want to work with people who've had extreme forms of uh, trauma or I want to work with people who um, have had facial, facial reconstruction because of um, accidents. Like literally decide who you want to work with mm-hmm. and, and then where are those people? What, what are the sources that would lead you to be introduced to them digitally, in person, through the network, through the system? Um, you know, so where are these people? Where do they exist? And, and so when we have a conversation, when I say like, you know, are, are they mostly women of this age group on Facebook and, you know, and you're on the U S like, that's where these people are. When, when I say yeah. you have to meet people where they're at, that's where these people are. So, so how do I get in front of them? And then because we know who they are and what they're looking for, and because we understand their level of skepticism or belief or hope, their fears, their worries, what they, what they are saying, but they're secretly asking for, but won't come out and say, because we know the people really well, we can shape our words and our tone and how we're perceived. So that way they will enter into a conversation with us digitally, um, through an email form, calling up your company, walking through the door, that's entering into a conversation. And because we know who we are and we know who they are, literally you Venn diagram and overlap who I am with who you are. And that, that is me shaping the version of me that I need to be. And um, at the last event with Evan Carmichael, I was speaking to one of the, one of the, um, one of the attendees. And I think you might be joining us in the fall, which would be cool. One of the attendees. Mm, and, I can't, but I think uh, I can. I know, I know, I know. Anyway, I haven't broken that to you yet. No, I'm we'll speaking to one of the, time. another time. I'm speaking <laughs> to one of the attendees and, he maintained that he can only be him and he would not change for anyone. Mm. And I said, well, if you're at a wedding in a church, might you shape the language or would you just come out swearing and going crazy? And he said, I'm me. So, okay. When you're speaking to your son, do you change what you say and how you say it? He said, I'm only me. I said, okay. When you're speaking to your grandmother, would you change who you, you know, who you, and he's like, well, yeah, I would. Okay. So that's the, like, who do I want to work with? And I've entered into a conversation. Now, what version of me do I need to show to build trust or build credibility or so they can trust me or so I can help them like, like that. And then you make a promise and it's not a guarantee. It's not anywhere near this message. It's literally in the way you carry yourself, your tone, the words you say, leaning in for me with my clients. It's usually like, listen, I know that this seems really complicated but don't worry, we got this, right? Yeah, we don't know everything yet, but we're going to figure this out, right? That's the promise that I'm making. And then you do everything you can to deliver on that promise. You build your company, you build your operations, you do everything you can. But, but, But those are the simple steps to sales and to marketing and to building social media and to growing your business and doing everything you need to do. It's, it's like, it's so simple to me I don't know what you think of it, but but that's it. No, it's actually, yeah, it is real. I talk a lot about creating avatars and and my mentoring clients will have heard this umpteen times from me and I will get them doing a lot of creative writing around their ideal client who they are most drawn to work with and then pitching all of their social media content as if they are speaking to that one person, Mm -hmm. that one ideal client. What I really like is, when you think about the version of yourself, I've not done it this way. So I really like 
what I'm picking up from what you've said. When you think of the version of yourself that you like to be when you're with your ideal client, it's not mm-hmm. the same version of yourself that you present to your, your grandmother or your aunt or your mother or whoever it might be. And yet so many of us try to, we're listening too much to the fear of criticism from those people that we feel we need to be on our very, very best behaviour with. And we mm-hmm. let that influence how we communicate with our ideal client. And I think that's the, that's that intersection that's really, really interesting to me. I'm going to have some fun with that. I think I love that idea. I'm well, stealing that one. Thank I'm, you. I'm working on a book <laughs> on this. So don't, so don't, but think about this. This is like, you know, I was, I was watching an impact theory episode. Are you familiar with Tom Bill, you and impact theory? I was yeah. watching an episode and in passing, he mentioned when he was interviewing Gary Vaynerchuk that, that Gary's agency, that they're friends and Gary's agency has his work. And in that moment, I had this little ping, this little ping of like, like, oh, like we're not, we're not there. We're not good enough. I can't imagine having a Tom Bilyeu as our client. And rather though than saying like that, I went, wait, hold on. Who do I need to become or who do I need to be or what company do I need to have? What operations do I need to have? What do I need to have? to have Tom, a Tom Bilyeu as my client mm. and where, where would Tom be and how would I get in front of him and what would I have to say to enter in a conversation? And then in that conversation, who would I have to be to have the, like, it, it's all a mental exercise, but, but it helps us frame exactly what to say and how to say it. So that way we can get people ultimately to the point where, where they will work with us. And then again, you do everything you can Like my father-in-law is, is it loves to say under promise over deliver but it leads to this extreme modesty, like Canadian modesty. And I was like, no, like over promise and then over deliver on that over big, super huge promise. Don't let people down. But, 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 and with healthcare professionals, let me tell you, I've, I've, they, you know, I've worked with people who have seen major breakthroughs with people and yet they won't even take credit for leading the client through that breakthrough. They want to say, yeah. I was just a partner in this journey. No, you were the person who helped them do this. You led them to yes. it. Come on. Yes, I know. And we've got all that drilled into us. You know, we're not allowed to say X, Y, Z things in marketing ourselves. And, and so we've got that, uh, you know, I'm sure it's universal around the world with health professionals or helping professionals Mm -hmm. that yes we are we're basically taught to take that humble back seat but within a highly competitive environment so when I started psychology studies there were 400 students in my first year lecture and ultimately I was competing to win one of seven spots in the PhD program that I ended up in Hmm. so you know you're in a highly you're in a hotbed of competition but you've got to be humble as well. And it's no wonder we get screwy with our, with our mindset mm. around what we meant to say, what we can say, what we're allowed to say. I'm loving your podcast. I am absolutely loving uh, oh, something, something true. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I'm really enjoying, I'm really enjoying it. Um, it feels messy to me. It's, but that's great. Like it's a lovely, that's, I'm, I was saying to someone I was interviewing the other day, I'm, I'm the queen of imperfect action. I never edit. Nothing gets edited. I don't have time for that. So imperfect action, you know, record an interview and it just bang, that's it. That's what we talked about. That's what's going live. And I love it. And that's what I like about something to prove. It's a conversation, you know, and it's an interest. It's usually, usually, I say usually because, you know, I don't want to 
you don't need to get a big head. That's always been it's a really, really interesting <laughs> conversation. Actually, I shared with I shared with some of my mentoring clients a conversation you guys were having about um, where, you know, the feelings you have when you have to let good people go. Um, mm. You know, I've got some people on my team at the moment who are moving on to create their own businesses and, um, you know, and they've got my 100% support. And, you know, 12 months ago, I would have been stuck in the sadness of loss for me. But now that my passion is so out and proudly supporting people to grow in their own businesses, I'd be a walking fraud if I couldn't honestly and with integrity be excited for the next stage in their business growth. So I think it's a really valid conversation for people to be having that, you know, as business owners, we have all the feelings. We might not always show them, but we have all the feelings with the people that come and go in our businesses, especially when people are going for the right reasons. It's such a mixed bag of mm-hmm. emotions, yeah? Mm. Yeah. And, and, you know, watching great people go on to the next thing, you know, I, I, used, to, I used to have this feeling like, working at my company was a stepping stone on other people's careers, but that the company was a shackle for me because there, there was no next stepping stone. Um, I, I've, I I feel like I've outgrown that because I've realized how much pivoting I can do in the business and what I can change. And, 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 um, and I've had good people stay a long time and I've had good people leave. Um, I've asked good people to leave. Uh, but, um, I remember that used to be like a really, uh, tough thing that I used to deal with, but yeah. we don't talk about these things. You know, that's, that's the biggest we don't. thing. We don't talk about the hard things. We don't talk about the emotions. We don't talk about the sleepless nights. We don't talk about, you know, that, that overwhelming sense of responsibility. Mm. Um, you know, I was talking again this morning with a mentoring client about, um, you know, that over that, that sole responsibility that you carry as the business owner and if you don't have good support around you, and as a business owner, that gets increasingly hard to find because you don't want to burden your team. And so having mentors and peers um, is really, really important because otherwise that sense of sole responsibility becomes a sense of isolation and that leads mm-hmm. to burnout. You've got to watch for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. You're one of our most loyal listeners, I'd say. <laughs> Well, thank you for coming and, pl- and playing on my podcast. I think we could probably talk all night, and I know it's nighttime where you are, and you probably need to go to bed. But um, uh, it, It's only 9.25, but yes, it is. <laughs> but okay. All right. I, guess, I guess you know that I go to bed at 10 p.m. every night. Eh? <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I'm actually early, early to bed, early to rise at the moment. So, uh, yeah, I get it. I'm going to say thank you because I think we could talk, as I said, all night long. And I mm-hmm. think uh, it would be nice if you popped back in at some point. Um, at I reckon time. there's lots of conversations we could have around this stuff, which anytime. will be very well received by my audience. Anyway. Thank you so much for having me. And I will just ask one more question. Go you. for it. When you say we're finding proof, we're finding proof yes. of what? We're finding proof within ourselves mm-hmm. that we've already got all of the things that we need. We've already got all the knowledge and the skills and the experience and the confidence because we've already been brave in the past, but Mm -hmm. we've overlooked all of that and we're just listening to fear voices now and we're listening to the fear and letting that call the shots. So we need to look inwards for the evidence that we've already achieved so much that we are capable of achieving the next step. So that's Mm -hmm. the proof that we are finding. And do you find that that framework helps people rationalise um, and come to terms with what's going on up here. Whereas most of these yeah. things that are happening are actually in our heart, right? 
Yeah, 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 that's right. So I guess it's a balance between um, people like to talk, people like to say, oh, I'm being realistic and realism is an excuse. Realism mm. is an excuse and it's usually an excuse for either pessimism or procrastination or perfectionism. Wow, that's my, that's my three. I, I just won. I got all three of those things. Ta-da! Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, so whenever people tell me they're just being realistic, I am very quick to call bullshit on that. Um, and I will start digging like a little ferret into what that actually means and start finding evidence with that person that, well, let's look at the evidence of where you've been really strong. So I can't show you because I'm using my phone to record this, but the wallpaper on my phone is a photograph of me at nine in the snow in Tasmania. And <laughs> And it's a photograph of me from a time in my childhood that was like a calm between the storms of a very difficult childhood. And that's just my little touchstone to remind myself every day of the things that I've been able to survive intact, been able to overcome, and that whenever I have a challenge on a day-by-day basis that I think is going to swamp me, look at all the evidence that's already there that you've survived plenty of difficult things and you will continue to survive difficult things no matter what they are so so we look for those ev- those pieces of evidence that we can pull together to form a package of proof mm. that you're brave you're strong you're courageous you're creative you're you're an entrepreneur you've got this you can do this you know so it's not just saying you can do this go do it it's actually about providing little touchstones that people can draw on to remind themselves that they can, they actually can, because they've already done it before. Yeah. We just forget. We overlook it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Don't go away because I'm going to end the recording and and chat to you. Uh, (laughs) Thank you, everybody, for joining me and Mark Drager today on Finding Proof, the podcast. This will be available via video on YouTube and all my socials. And uh, I look forward to talking to you all again very, very soon. Bye for now. Let me end. Oh. I've got to end the recording. See, I don't edit. edit See, you get the exciting bit. I'm not even. I'm not even. Listeners, you got all the behind the scenes now because she's still recording. Behind the scenes. I'm still recording. Now I'm my hair in my eyes too. Hang on. <laughs>